orchestra for leading us today. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read the same thing we did last week, um, verses 1 through 10. Very powerful, powerful passage of Scripture of our life prior to Christ and then what God did through Christ to bring us into life and relationship with Him. Starting with verse 1, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, I emphasized last week the two, perhaps the two most important words in all of Scripture, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Almighty God, we praise you for the truth that you reveal to us in your precious word. Lord, we now desire, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace that you have called us to yourself with, that you would would enable us to see what is for us in this passage of Scripture as we talk about the fact that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. So, Lord, help me as I seek to unwrap this incredibly important concept and help us to hear and to receive and to have our lives transformed more into the image of Christ as a result of being here today. Already, Lord, we have, we have sung your word, we have spoken your word, we have read your word. And now, Lord, we with eager hearts listen as the word of God is preached. We thank you and praise you for what you will do because of your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're new here this week, uh, for the last several weeks we have been going through a study of uh, the five solas. You see the big idea in your sermon outline. The five solas simply, simply summarize the radical gospel message from God's Word that God does all the saving and leaves nothing for man to claim 
as his own contribution to gain God's favor and acceptance. And here is the way that it came to be known after the, uh, the reformers. They didn't put it together in a package like this. It was done later on. But essentially, in answer to the questions, upon what foundation does my salvation rest? The answer to that is sola scriptura, nothing but the scripture alone. In answer to the question, what must I earn to be saved? What's the answer to that? Absolutely nothing. Salvation is by grace alone. But what must I do to be saved? The answer again is nothing but believe. Salvation is through faith alone. Who must I trust to be saved? We haven't come to that. We'll get to that in the next several weeks. We must believe in nothing or no one but Christ alone. And then in answer to the question, what's the point of all of this? Salvation is for God's glory alone. Now, obviously, we get a great deal out of the salvation that he gives to us, but ultimately, it is for his glory alone. Now, we have been through sola scriptura. We have been through grace alone, sola gratia. Today, we're considering sola fide, that we are saved through faith alone. Look at the big idea of the message today. Justification is an act of grace alone in which God forgives believing sinners and counts them righteous through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Now let's look at a couple of definitions and try to illustrate these as best we can. We're going we're to talk about justification. It's, it's a big word, a theological word, but it's an important word that we must understand. And then we're going to talk about faith. Now hear me on this. Justification and faith always go together. So while we're going to, to define those independently, you've got to remember that they always go together. Here's what justification means. Justification means to declare righteous. Get a picture of a courtroom. It is a judicial act of God in which he always does two inseparable things. Now, this is vital that we understand this. I, I, I can't speak for you, but I know my experience growing up and hearing about salvation, it seemed, maybe it was just my hearing that was at fault, but it seemed that in the teaching that I was receiving, it always focused on one and never really focused on the other aspect. These two always go together, and they are so powerful when you understand what God does for us in justification. So, he's in the courtroom. And we all know that he declares us not guilty. He does that first of all. Negatively, we might say, he forgives believers of all of their sins, past present, and future. But lo and behold, he does something else. Positively, he declares believers righteous in his sight. I've heard a lot of believers 
talk about their Christian life like this. Well, Pastor, I do my best. Let me let you in on a little secret. God, listen to me, God demands His best, not our best. And here's what God says. He says this to everyone in the world because He's created you to reflect His image, to be image bearers. And so He says to all people, don't sin ever. But not only that, He says, not only don't sin, that's the negative part of it, but I want you to keep all of my commandments perfectly. So what's the problem with that? We have sinned. And we have failed to keep his commands. Let let me just use an illustration, uh, a financial illustration. I want you to imagine that today that all of your money had been wiped out of your bank account. You are absolutely bankrupt. Now, that sometimes is used as a picture of what it means that we are lost. But hold on, that's not the whole picture. You and I, let's put it in spiritual terms, you and I are not only spiritually bankrupt, we have a huge mountain of debt. And you being able to pay off that mountain of debt, I'm not talking about just getting out of the bankruptcy, but I'm talking about paying off the debt. It would be like a minimum wage earner trying to pay off the national debt. And lo and behold, what the Bible declares is that someone has paid your debt. That should be good news. But even that is not enough. Now, are you you tracking with what we're talking about in terms of justification? Your debt is paid. And that's the first part uh, of this equation. That's what I always heard about in terms of salvation. But that is not enough. Again, I say that is not enough. All that happens if someone pays off your debt, that just brings you up to zero. And what God did by His grace was not only pay your sin debt, He put infinite funds into your spiritual account. Last week I asked who was the richest man. I kind of threw that out. I didn't really know. Several of you were Googling that, using your smart device for something good in church. Hint, hint. Jeff Bezos apparently is the richest man in the world. I guess somewhere, somebody said 40-something billion. I guessed around 70-something billion. It's closer to $115 billion. Now, can you imagine Jeff Bezos putting a billion dollars into your bank account every month? See some of you smiling. Pastor, I can almost imagine that. But do you realize after, I, I think I calculated this, after about 
nine and a half years, what he has to give you would run out. There would be no more. Friends, spiritually speaking, you know, that's Paul in Ephesians does such a good job of unfolding this. Back earlier in the first chapter, he says that you, Christian, have been blessed with what? $115 billion? No. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, or another translation is all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has not only paid off your mountain of debt, sin debt, he has blessed you with everything you need for life and godliness both now and for eternity. See, the message of the Bible is that all have sinned, all have failed to keep his commandments. And when you believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you are justified, sin debt wiped out, paid for, just as if I'd never sinned. But again, that's not all, that's not enough. Here is the other part of what he did. Now, I talked about it in terms of finances put into your bank account. Here's what he did when he forgave your sin and declared you justified. He declared you morally perfect in his sight. This, that should be stunning. If you're like I am, when I know that God looks at me, and he does, every second of every day, and I know what he sees, but do you know what the Bible says that he sees through the eyes of justification? He sees his son and his son's perfection applied to me. It's another word. You might write down this word in case you don't know it. It's the word imputed. He imputed your sins onto Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He imputed Christ's righteousness to you. Now, and here is the whole gist of what we're talking about today. He did that not based, listen, on any merit, on any good deed, on any good work that you have done, but by his amazing grace alone through faith in Christ alone. You contribute nothing. It is through faith alone. That's justification. Well, what is faith? Let's look at that. Faith biblically defined as this. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 6. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we do not see. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's what it looks like. Let me put this together. Justification through faith alone. Romans 3, 23 through 25. And, and you know, it's all over scripture, but there are some passages that seem to just pack it together so that you can see it all working together. L look at this in Romans 3. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. Now, I've added alone. Okay? But that's the gist of what Paul is talking about. By His grace alone, 
as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation in his blood to be received by faith alone. Let me move on to to another verse that says it so well. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law. I want to ask you a question. I want to make a statement then ask you a question. Okay. That, students, adults, that is the gospel. What if, what if someone came in here claiming to be the Apostle Paul? And lo and behold, through some miracle of resuscitation, resurrection, whatever you want to call it, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul, and he walks in here and and he sees me preaching, what do you think I would do? I would say, Paul, uh, I'm going to sit down here at your feet. Would you come up here? What if the Apostle Paul started preaching a gospel where it was not grace alone through faith alone, but he added, he tweaked just a little bit and said, you know, it's not just faith alone, it is faith plus. Something that you, you, you've got to love people. You know, you've got to love people. What do you think I should do? Well, okay, now wait, wait, wait. What if an angel came through the door? I mean flying up here. And he preached that same I'll put quotation marks around it, that same gospel. What what should I do? Well, let's see what Paul did in Galatians chapter 1. Would you turn there very quickly? And we're going to see what Paul said that we must do. Now, you must do this not only in a a corporate sense, but you must do this individually. And I'm going to say something in just a a minute about all of us standing for truth in our generation and all of us being theologians. Uh, look, look at Galatians chapter six and uh, chapter one, and let's start with verse six and listen to what the apostle says about that question that I just posed to you. First of all, he says he's astonished because they received the truth of the gospel, grace alone through faith alone. I'm astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a quote-unquote gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you, a gospel so-called contrary to the one you received. He's repeating himself here. Let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, 
Students, I, I, I just, I, let me talk to you, it, it, all of us, all of us, but I, I, I want you to know in every generation, back in the, the 1500s, it was Martin Luther and, and others like him. By the way, he, he wasn't picking a fight when he nailed the 95 Theses on the wall. He just wanted to get a discussion going. The way we would say it today, he wanted to have a convo with some of the leaders. He, that's all he wanted. Let's dialogue about this because I see some things that are amiss. In every generation, we must stand. And that goes from the youngest to the most elderly in the congregation. We must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And let me say another thing. I said this two weeks ago, I believe it was. Every one of you is a theologian. You don't get a buy. You don't get a pass. Well, that's, that's the pastor's job. Now, it doesn't mean by being a theologian that you have to go to seminary. You, you have to do, you know, further study. But the question is never, are you a theologian? The only question is, how good a theologian are you? An atheist is a theologian. He says words about God. He's just not a very good theologian because he's wrong. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So there are foolish theologians. And we need for you to understand that in every generation, we are called to stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and dig. One of the things that encourages me the most is to see many of you, but to see uh, these, these students with their Bibles open and making notes... I believe they're going home and searching the scriptures. And, and by the way, many on many occasions, they come up and ask me questions. They, and, and they'll point out if I didn't get something quite right. That's called being a theologian. Saying the words about God. Knowing. Not just knowing. Being gripped by this truth is absolutely vital for your spiritual health and for your growth and for the spiritual health of the church and the growth of the church for the glory of God. Now, I reminded you last week that the Roman Catholic Church, out of which Martin Luther came, and even today, I, I want to try to say this carefully, but, but with a straightforward kind of statement, the Roman Catholic Church believes that a person is saved by grace through faith. I did a lot of reading. I've done a lot of reading over the past several weeks on websites and blog sites from Roman Catholic apologists. And I'm going to tell you that they are, they are very convincing and they will tell you that they believe... They'll say, these Protestants are saying, we believe that you're saved by works. We do not. We believe you're saved by grace through faith. That is the thing they hammer on over and over. But you'll remember from last week, what one little word do they leave out? Alone. The teaching today, 
the Roman Catholic Church is that grace is infused. Now, do you see how words mean something? I gave you a word a minute ago. I said it was a theological word about Christ putting our sins on, I mean, God putting our sins on Christ and, and his righteousness on us. What was that word? Imputed. They do not use that word until heaven. They use the word infused. So at spiritual birth, grace is infused. Oh, by the way, when is spiritual birth? When you're baptized, most often as a child. When that happens, you're born again. You're born again. Grace is infused, and then the rest of your life, you are working out, that's what they would say, but actually working for approval by God by grace-empowered deeds. And you get to the end, and one of two things happens if you're a good Catholic. What are those two things? If you've been super spiritual and in your good deeds, grace empowered, so they say God gets the glory, not alone, because you helped with it. Then if you've been super spiritual, you go straight to heaven. But most often, for most everybody in this room, you're not super spiritual. So where do you go between death and heaven? Purgatory. It's a word that means purge. And over a period of, I don't know how many years, the purging takes place so you're ready to enter into heaven when sanctification has taken place. The Council of Trent was clear. As a reaction against the Reformers, they had their own council where they rejected in the harshest terms the Reformers. Now, there's been some talk, and it's, it's very vague, that they have rescinded that, but I cannot find a credible Catholic site that says they do not still abide by the Council of Trent. That was a few minutes ago. Forgot to flip the slide. Let's go to the Council of Trent. Canon 9, 1547. If anyone says, does it sound like I'm picking on the Catholic Church? Just wait. Okay, just, just wait. I'm not. There are only two religions in the world. Okay, remember? One religion of human accomplishment, the other of divine accomplishment. So the Council of Trent, in answer to the Reformers, said, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, oh my goodness, that's what we're saying. Meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary to be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be accursed. Now, I want to be clear. Are there Roman Catholics who are saved? Yes, there are, but not if they hold in their heart to a belief that grows out of the Council of Trent. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. 
And no matter what other religion, all other religions except for Christianity are lumped into this group where human accomplishment helps to secure the grace needed for acceptance with God. For we hold, Paul said, that one is justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law of any kind. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. You know, when you find some things repeated in Scripture, that means they're important. But through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, in order to be justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, even if you're doing, I've got to have your grace, but I'm adding my work. There are saved Catholics, just like there are saved Baptists. But the reason we're saved is not because we produce any work that merits the acceptance of God at all whether Catholic, Baptist, or whatever. I came across this. I'd never heard of this, but in Rome, there is a, uh, a place. Next time in, I'm in Rome, I want to visit this place. It's called St. John Lateran Basilica, the Holy Stairs. This is, this is interesting. You can go and you can see plaques. It's about 30-some-odd stairs, and you'll see pilgrims this is what they do. They go on a pilgrimage to this place. And they're not just, these are not tourists, folks. Now, maybe some are, and they don't really mean it. But the faithful go to this place, and there are several places along. I don't know if you can see them. I, I can't really pick them up. Where Now, now this was supposedly transferred from, from Pilate's stairs that Christ walked up, and there are spots of Christ's blood, supposedly, on several of the steps. And there's a reason why people go up on their knees because it says on a plaque that for every step, get this, for every step, nine years in purgatory is taken off your account. You know, if you're visiting today, please don't hear me bashing. I, we're, we're trying to get to the truth. In every generation, God will require us to stand for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Let me give you just several things. We're going to run through these and illustrate these. It's in your notes. It's impossible to be justified before God by human effort. All right? It's impossible. And here are several reasons why. First reason, good works can't cancel sin. Isaiah 64 says, We all have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like, well, this version says a polluted garment, filthy rags. We fade like a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind take us away. I, I want you to imagine that... Uh, uh, you're at my house, you've spent the night, and, and I, I get up early and I'm cooking breakfast for you, okay? And I'm going to make you a three-egg omelet. 
All right. But you wake up, you smell the coffee, you smell the bacon, but all of a sudden you smell something so incredibly rancid. And, and you, you go into the kitchen and you say, Marty, what, what are you doing? I'm making you an omelet. It just smells awful. Well, there's a reason for it. One of the eggs was rotten. But not to worry. There are two that are good. And that ought to cancel out the one that's rotten. Would you eat that omelet? I hope not. Okay, folks. Now, get the spiritual picture of this. Your rottenness cancels out your goodness. Even if you could perfectly keep the law of God. You can't be good enough, long enough to cancel out the putrid effects of sin. You got that? Good works can't cancel sin. Second thing, God doesn't grade on the curve. He requires perfection. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's just go to the Word of God. James chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 5. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all. It doesn't mean you've broken all of them in the same way, but you're accountable for breaking one law. Accountable for what? The penalty for law-breaking, which is what? Death, separation from God. You therefore, he says in Matthew 5, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. How many of you... Okay, this is interactive preaching here. How many of you only sin once a day? Okay, I'll give you a break. How many of you sin only three times a day? I, I don't. I mean, I, I sin more than that. But let's just say, you know, I'm almost 70. Let's say that I only sinned three times a day. That's about 1,100 sins in a year. And over my lifetime, that would be about 75,000 sins. You see why, I mean, it's a mountain of debt that you, you really can't pay. Now, I want you to switch analogies, and let's think of this. If I were stopped for running a red light, and the officer got onto his uh, computer, and he saw that I had 75,000 outstanding tickets, <laughs> what do you think would happen to me? They would... Throw me into jail and they, they would throw away the key. They'd lock it. And yet it only takes one sin to send you to hell. Do you understand why God doesn't grade on the curve? You have to have entire perfection. We can't be good enough long enough. Religion, by the way, will never give you an assurance of salvation. People who are trying to earn it are some of the most miserable people in the world. And I'm not talking about Catholics. I'm talking about Baptists. Third thing, if good works can't save you, or can save you, it's obvious you don't need Jesus. But Paul says we do. Paul says, I, I, you know, now you think about Paul. If there was anybody who had a pedigree that could have earned eternal life, it would have been Paul. 
but he says that in Philippians 3, but he, he ends up saying, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Don't get into a works merit. I said that every other religion. You, you know, I shared last week that Greg Rader and I are going to be going to Turkey. We will not be stopping in Istanbul. But if we were, and if we were taking someone new, we would take you perhaps on some of the incredible historical sites. And one of the things we would go see is the Topkapi Palace. We've got several who have been there. They've got all kinds of rooms with all kinds of the, the, the robes of the sultans and their chairs and their jewels and all that. But there's one place that's, that's designated as a holy place because of the relics that are contained there. And they've got, they've, I, I, there were too many to have pictures of. They've got a tooth of Muhammad. They've got one of his sword. They've got uh, one of his uh, a beer, uh, hair from his beard. They're all relics. You get merit when you look at that. This is uh, the forearm and the skull cap of John the Baptist. I've seen that. Now, if you're a Muslim, you believe that you get merit. By the way, there's, there's a Quran being read over you as you're going through this place. More merit. You say, oh, Baptists aren't like that. How many of you are old enough to remember these? What is that? Oh, come on, come on, work with me here. That's a Sunday school attendance pin. Not just any attendance, perfect attendance. By the way, they showed up on time. Now, we're not against attending Sunday school or tithing or doing any of the things that you do but if you in any way think that this is going to earn you more acceptance with God, you're going to have to look at this picture. It's clear it's several years old. But this guy, look at, look at the Sunday school perfect attendance pins. 58 years of perfect attendance in Sunday school, and he was on time every time. I don't know that part of it. Now, this, this dear gentleman, hopefully he's doing what he does out of a heart. I love Jesus. I'm fully accepted in the Lord. And, and we're not making fun of attending Sunday school. We're not making fun of it, doing any of the works we do. But if ever there is that subtle and sometimes not so subtle, even among Baptists, this is my point, feeling that somehow I've earned a little bit more place with God. That's another gospel. Paul said, let him be accursed. Summary. These are probably going to be too quick to write. Just get a feel for these, and then we're going to move into our Lord's Supper. Here's a summary of what it means, faith alone. It's not based on my works. Okay? Romans 4, 5. It's not based on my works. Second thing, it's based on God's grace alone. Third thing, it's through faith alone. By grace, through faith. Faith is the channel. Therefore, there is no ground 
for boasting. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And the last thing, and this is what ushers us into our Lord's Supper, our time around the table, it is always grounded, God's grace through faith, is always grounded in the blood of Jesus Christ. I've shared this with you before, one of my favorite paintings, I've got a small painting of this in my office, Thomas Blackshear's Forgiven taken from Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. O Lord, if you, should mark, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? In case you didn't know, God does mark iniquity. Every one of them that you have done. Every one of them that you will do. But the next verse says, But with you is forgiveness, therefore you should be feared. That's the message of the table. I want the men to come down and uh, take your places or wherever in the back. I want to share this last, uh, just a, a story, a true story, and uh, then we'll pray and we'll have the Lord's Supper. Josh McDowell, most of you are familiar with him some years ago was debating a Muslim apologist and at one point the Muslim apologist tried to ridicule the Christian view of salvation and he said this sir he said you Christians are trying to get to heaven on the back of a crucified man to which Josh replied sir you are entirely correct we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for the sins of man. We are indeed going to heaven on the back of a crucified man. Father, it is our prayer that as we've gone through justification by faith alone, that there has been a stirring in the hearts of people here who have never received Christ as Savior. Oh God, how I pray that you would open eyes and hearts, grant repentance and faith, and that if there is anyone here today without Christ, that they, even today, would receive the Savior and be saved. Father, for those of us who know him, now we are gathered around the table, knowing that we do not get to heaven based on our works, but as Josh McDowell so aptly said, we are indeed going to heaven on the back of a crucified man. So as we partake of these elements in just a few moments, the cup and the bread, I pray that you would help us to think deeply about what you have done through the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ for us. Lord, help us now take into our hearts the truth even as we take into our stomachs physically these elements which remind us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Now, as you meditate, let me just give you some instructions. You will be receiving the bread and the 
the cup of juice all at once. The juice is on top of the bread. In a few moments, we'll take of the bread and then take of the cup. 